You're listening to a recording from the 2017 Mockingbird Conference held at St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Hey, you guys. All right, we're officially being closed into the crypt, so everybody hold your breath. All right. Um, Y'all, I'm Charlotte, and I think I know half of you in this room, which is exciting. Um, And let's say a quick prayer before we get started. Lord God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, um, to be in front of these people today. Um, And I pray that your spirit would just be in this room, um, calm any nerves that I have, and um, uh, please let me not have to go to the bathroom in the middle of my talk, uh, which is a real thing. And uh, we love you so much and just pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, speak through me today and anything that's just dumb and not of you that everybody would just forget that I said it. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, um, let's get started. So the book of John begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The first words of Moana, therefore, sing a familiar tune, which are, in the beginning was only ocean. The biblical and theological analogies in this movie don't stop there. If you sit down to watch Moana in its entirety, or if you're a young parent, which I think some of you are, um, and you've seen it 10,000 times, maybe memorized the soundtrack, um, you'll notice all kinds of biblical references all throughout this movie. Uh, Moses is a big one. But as I wrestled uh, with this talk over the last few weeks, um, I kept coming back to just those first words um, that are so wondrous. In the beginning, was the ocean. So that's where I want to begin. As you'll come to see from my vantage point, the ocean and Moana, pictured above, uh, can't represent anything other than God himself, the author of all things, the lover of our souls, who chooses us as characters and his grand redemptive story for no good reason at all other than this. He delights in us. The ocean, God, in this metaphor, chooses Moana. So let's look at this scene right here I'm about to show you and look at it as if it's like her baptism. And it's kind of cool. Mom. 
Um, so this precious characterization of the ocean starts to paint the picture of what Sally Lloyd-Jones describes as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Moana begins on a small Polynesian island called Motunui. We learned that long ago, a demigod named Maui stole the heart of Tefiti, the mother island, in order to give the people of the world life. Instead, a terrible darkness began to slowly consume the world, island after island. Sounds kind of familiar. Where the story begins, the people of Motunui have yet to experience the effects of that terrible darkness. Like Eden, everything the people need, the island provides. In fact, the first song of the movie, called Where You Are, is basically a tribute to such Edenic provision. The song spouts lyrics like, happiness is where you are, and the island gives us what we need. Moana's father sings, consider the coconut, consider its tree. We use each part of the coconut. It's all we need. <laughs> um, we make our nets from the fibers. The water is sweet inside. We use the leaves to build fires. We cook the meat inside. The village of Motunui is all you need. But eventually, the coconuts become rotten. The fish, they all disappear. And Moana, daughter to the village chief, and now a teenager, is chosen by the ocean to save her people from total ruin. In order to do it, she sails across the sea, finds the demigod Maui, defeats the lava monster Teka, and physically puts back the heart of Tefiti. On the surface of things, Moana has all the marks of Pelagianism. And it's possible I got really in over my head in deciding to incorporate this word into my talk. Um, <laughs> but I'm going for it. Uh, so let, let me dumb it down for you and for me. Um, Pelagianism is this belief uh, that human beings are basically good and that we have it in our power or ability uh, to be better. Most of us in this room, like, probably scoff at this ridiculous notion, like, what, me? And yet I find this idea that it's in my power to do better, to be better, to find my own bliss, just one of the most luscious, seductive, give-it-to-me-now ideas this side of heaven. My happiness is in my hands, my peace, my satisfaction. Um, all of it can be mine. It's just, it's so so seductive. Um, and Pelagianism, if you think about it, is straight from the heart of Eve, right? You could be like God, whispered the serpent. And isn't this our temptation every single day? Michael Horton, one of my favorite dudes, um, put it like this in a talk I heard him give. He said, no one has to be taught Pelagianism. The heresy of self-salvation is in our genes. No one has to be taught that we're basically good people who could be a little bit better. And here's how you could be a better you. No one has to be taught the pull yourself up by your bootstraps theology. That's something we all have in us by nature. And it's something we keep falling back to. It's our default setting. Horton said in that talk what I want to say to you now, which is all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are struggling Pelagians. It is writ in our fallen DNA. We know the gospel of grace. We know that we look to Christ as the author and finisher of our faiths. But it is so easy to know that truth and yet take a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, theological approach to even our lives and our ministries. To attempt to operate day in and day out from our own vacant and vapid self-sufficiency. As Horton put it, 
We separate the message from the mission in all sorts of ways. And aren't you tired? <laughs> I'm so tired, y'all. The big question in Moana and the question that I think that burns in all of our hearts is this, who were we meant to be? So if not these small, striving demigods, then who were we meant to be? On the surface of things, Moana answers the question of our identity and who we were made to be with a single word, hero. She seems to save her people in this grand, superhuman gesture. And I'm sure plenty of these people literally have given the exact opposite talk that I'm giving right now. Who knew Disney could have so many layers? Um, at first pass of Moana myself, with my two small children beside me glued to the screen, I felt like Rocky at the top of the steps. I looked around at my ridiculous, messy life and was like, like, hell yes, I can do this. For the briefest of seconds, I had what it took. My eyes were like almost welled with tears at this notion that I had what it took. I'm telling you, I'm sick. <laughs> but then my chest started to tighten and the work around me was too much. Right in the middle of my big personal moment, my kids started to tug at my clothes, jumping all over me with their tiny sharp elbows and asking me one million existential questions completely unrelated to this movie. Because that's what kids do. Uh, my stomach began to hurt because that's what my stomach does. Uh, I tried to shake all these things off. I mean, hello, can't you see I'm busy here? Uh, basking in the glow of everything I could be. But no, I do not have inside of me the ingredients necessary to accomplish all the do's in life, no matter how basic. I struggle to write when I need to write, to treat my body kindly, to get my work done in a way that feels satisfactory, and to parent anywhere near the razor-sharp standards of Facebook America. <laughs> For real. I am nobody's hero. So if not that, if not hero, who are we made to be? A deeper look into Moana, praise Jesus, reveals something truer than its Pelagian whiffs. If we scratch past that surface, we find something way more recognizable. Weakness, failure, self-doubt, but also inexplicable and undeserved chosenness and divine rescue. Moana is all of us, prince and pauper. Like you, like me, she is a character who actually brings very little to the table. So here's what we know about Moana and her credentials that might seem valuable in our culture. She is the daughter of the village chief, so the soon-to-be leader of her tribe. She's got status. She's basically the Ivanka Trump of Motunui. <laughs> Moana, like any well-equipped Disney protagonist or hotel heiress, has an animal sidekick. <laughs> she has the body of a Beyonce backup dancer and the hair of a young Diana Ross. But it doesn't take long to see that not one of these things will serve her in any capacity when it comes to restoring the heart of Tefiti. Moana cannot sail. She cannot wayfind. She doesn't have any magical powers that will aid her on this heroic journey. She's a kid, she's a teenager. And her animal sidekick is a special, as in stop eating the paste special, malnourished chicken. <laughs> All of this is to say that despite these pretty appearances, Moana does not possess a lick of strength or ability on her own to bring about the salvation of her people. She is, poor thing, human. 
Although Moana stands at the center stage, even Disney projects that deep in all our hearts and the heart of every human being, we know that we need something alien, something outside ourselves to rescue and sustain and help and hold us. This is self-evident to the human experience. The only means by which Moana is able to fulfill the mission to which she is called is in being rescued over and over and over again by the ocean. Without it, she would literally never have even made it off the beach. So check out this, what's about to follow is my technological prowess in this montage I've put together that explains just that. I was there that day. The ocean chose you. You will board my boat, sail across the sea, and restore the heart of Tefiti. Board my boat! Not see that coming. I am Moana of Motunui. This is my canoe, and you will journey to different. All right, get over it. We gotta move. And she's back. I am Moana of Motunui. It was Moana, right? Let her come to me. Okay, so if that didn't make my point, um, let's take a look at Hey Hey, the chicken sidekick. Um, so there's this line in this super B-rated chick flick, and half of you in this room are going to know what I'm talking about, and you're women, and it's, you're supposed to be the leading lady of your own life. I used to find that that line extremely inspirational and it's taken me a long time to come to terms with if there's somebody I relate to in this movie it's hey hey the chicken sidekick <laughs> um, 
So, let me show you Hey Hey's montage. I'm curious about that chicken eating the rock. He seems to lack the basic intelligence required for pretty much everything. Should we maybe just cook him? Sometimes our strengths lie beneath the surface. Far beneath, in some cases. But I'm sure there's more to hey hey than meets the eye. So I love the last line of that little sequence right there. This chicken, hey hey, who is basically, let's be honest, a complete waste of space, um, actually saves the day. I don't know if you noticed that. With the, you know, he, he got the heart. This mission would have been a complete failure without him. The chicken lives, y'all, and that is good news for all of us. So Moana might think it has a Pelagian agenda, but she didn't get herself to the end at all. Were it up to her own abilities, she'd be long dead. And what I fail to remember almost every day is that were my salvation, my success, my life on my own shoulders or know-how, I would not be standing in front of you here today. I'd be six feet into the grave. Looking at Moana through this lens, we see in the depiction of the ocean this simple childlike truth of God's unyielding love and even use for sinners for screw-ups, for know-it-alls, for those of us on this side of the line, and for those of us on that side of the line. And all of this gets us a little bit closer to answering that, answering that nagging question, who were we made to be? So let's look at who Moana was made to be. The event that actually ignites Moana into this venture across the sea is discovering where she came from, the truth about her ancestors. She learns that before Maui stole the heart of Tefiti, or pre-fall in the metaphor we're making here today, her people were voyagers, people who lived in harmony with the ocean. They followed it, trusted in it, delighted in it, 
See where I'm going here? Moana was made to be one with the ocean. But now, like her grandmother says, we, her people, have forgotten who we are. You and I and all our crisscrossed, broke down, exhaustive efforts also forget who we were made to be. I think to truly answer this question, we must go past our genetic markers, past our birthplaces, past our personal gifts and preferences, and back to the very beginning of our story. And in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From Him and to Him and through Him are all things. All things were created by Him and for Him. We, like the people of Motunui, were made to live in paradise. Eden is our place of origin. And God created Adam and Eve, our ancestors, for a pretty basic reason. He created them for himself, for his pleasure, just to love on them, to delight in them, to be glorified with, by them, and to dwell in intimate relationship with them. That's it. So yes, we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve in the sense that we bear the weight of their sin, but we also carry with us God's blessed purpose for them in the first place. He made them just to love them. And because of Jesus, that is our very inheritance. God says to us in Jeremiah 31, three, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Our once broken relationship with God has been meticulously pieced back together because of Jesus's finishing work on the cross. So opposing the lie of Pelagianism, a lie we not only see spewed all over social media, but also dashed by the hour throughout our own lives and efforts. We bring nothing to the table in God's grand heroic gesture of perfect love and sacrificing his own son. So it should stand to reason that we cannot do or not do anything to be more loved by him, to live a happier life, to be better people. We have life abundant through one avenue and one avenue only. Not by praying with people more frequently, not by joining CrossFit, not by tithing with more regularity, not even by writing more, um, but by living in blessed surrender to our helplessness, miserable offenders that we are, relying only on the divine rescue of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faiths, who like the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. So this goofy crab character from the movie says to Moana, there's only so far you could get on those two little legs. And what blessed relief if this is true. And it's true for Moana. Dear ones, because of Jesus, we are no longer lava and ash, toiling, striving, running, running, running. That work has been finished for us. There's only so far you could get on those two little legs. Because of Jesus, we are beloved children. Beloved is we were made to be in Eden, where we were made to walk alongside our Father, to rely on Him, to be loved by Him, and to rest in Him. And because of Jesus, once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen of Narnia. Bring it home to Narnia. Um, so look at Moana's grandmother as a good example of this. She's the sort of John the Baptist figure who helps Moana come to terms with her chosenness. Um, as the people of Motunui are, you know, toiling away, here she is just dancing, uh, no. Here she is just dancing in the water 
at rest, just one with water, the, you know, God. Um, this is who we were made to be in the beginning. This is who God is making us to be slowly, painfully, here and now. And it's who we will be when Christ comes again. I'm so tired. Aren't y'all tired? So in a minute, I'm going to show you the movie's peak point of inspiration. What you're about to see in that pre-crescendo is Moana almost giving up. And this is so my experience of the Christian life. Like Moana, I am a weak, bone-fragile human. Even in planning this talk, I cannot tell you the weird physical and spiritual obstacles that I faced. Like, at some points, completely impaired. I spent a good part of the last few weeks on my knees saying things like, God, I can't do this. I can't go on. You chose the wrong person. I've got this sweet, simple thing I'm charged to do, preach the gospel, and yet I'm completely incapable. I can only see through this glass darkly. Choose someone else. Y'all, maybe my meds are off, but peeling myself out of bed in the morning feels equally as weighty sometimes. So when Moana comes to realize her own terrible inability, the ocean delivers to her the ghost of her dead grandmother, who will afford both her and us some wisdom. And the scene will end with a full body dive back into the ocean. Or in the story we're telling here today, a total surrender to your helplessness and to God. Why did you bring me here? I'm not the right person. You have to choose someone else. Choose someone else. a long ways past the reef. Grandma? Guess I chose the right tattoo. Grandma! <sighs> I tried, Grandma. I... I couldn't do it. It's not your fault. I never should have put so much on your shoulders. If you are ready to go home, I will be with you. Why do you hesitate? I don't know. I know a girl from an island. She stands apart from the crowd. She loves the sea and her people. She makes her whole family proud. Sometimes the world seems against you. The journey may leave a scar. But scars can heal and reveal just where you are. 
people you love will change you The things you have learned will guide you And nothing on earth can silence The quiet voice still inside you And when that voice starts to whisper Moana, you've come so far Moana, listen Do you know who you are? Who am I? I am a girl who loves my island And the girl who loves the sea It calls me I am the daughter of the village chief We are descended from voyagers Who found their way across the world And they call me I've delivered us to where we are I have journeyed farther I am everything I've learned and more Still it calls me And the call isn't out there at all It's inside me It's like the tide Always falling and rising I will carry you here with my heart All right, I'm gonna jump around here for a second. First off, let me say, this scene still, I think, precariously dances around the um, uh, self-salvation thing we've got going here. But when you look at, like, talking about my own, you know, weakness and, you know, for example, planning this talk, and Moana here, she's questioning herself. Some amazing grace happens when we have got to do something that seems impossible to do. Because we know that whatever comes forth, it, it won't be from us, right? It can't. The only way that impossible thing can be accomplished is through divine takeover, a coup. Not just a leg up or a little bit of encouragement, but total mental, spiritual, and bodily rescue. In that moment, we realize yet again, which I realize about 10 times a day, that I do not possess inside of me the ingredients necessary to be God's tool in these big and small ways. I have to first be rescued from myself. And not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. So coming back to this scene that we just saw, um, I know it's, you know it's got a little, you know, I'm Moana, it's still a little Pelagian, whatever. We're going to forget that today because <laughs> that's not the talk I'm giving. Um, but I actually think it's a semi-accurate gospel portrait if we view it in light of the rest of the movie, right? We've shown Moana being rescued by the ocean over and over and over again. So hear me out. The scene begins with confession, with Moana's admittance of her complete powerlessness and inability. She nearly gives up. And then the ocean provides her grandmother, who offers her not a pep talk. She doesn't say like, you can do it, you got everything you need, right? She offers her words of grace and remembrance that sound a lot like Moses's reminder to the unbelieving Israelites in Deuteronomy, as they over and again tried to take matters into their own hands. He said, do not be terrified. 
Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you, you in Egypt before your very eyes. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you in a fire by night and in a cloud by day to show you the way you should go. So we aren't in the sanctuary this morning, y'all. We're in the crypt, literally. <laughs> uh, and we can die to our petty, self-saving, lifeless, dog-tired pursuits of God-likeness. We can wave the white flag, surrender, and rely instead on the one who carries us like a father carries his beloved child, who went before us, who goes before us, and who made us just to love us for absolutely nothing of our own doing. 1 John 3.19 says, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Like we, like Moana, and like pretty much every wacky and wrestling character in the Bible, are ugly little clay pots. So plain, unimpressive, even offensive. And Jesus is the word, the living water that fills us, that forgives us, that moves us, that rescues us from our most basic and hideous places of need. And we belong to him. God, like Moana's grandmother, seems to say to someone like me and all my actual bad bootstrapping theology, the call isn't out there at all. Don't you remember who I made you to be? Don't you remember your ancestors? What I did for them? Who I am? What I have already done for you? You can stop working so hard to please me. I am well pleased. Quit running that race on your own two legs. You can lean on me. You can rest. I am enough to satisfy your need. Who were you made to be? I know it's hard to believe this when you stare in the mirror or look too closely at the comment sections, <laughs> but you were made to be loved. And because of Jesus, that's exactly who you are with the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Wonder of wonders, y'all. The chicken lives. <laughs> so let me close in prayer um, and I thought it would be appropriate to close with some of the baptismal liturgy from the book of Common Prayer because I'm Episcopalian um, let's bow our heads we thank you almighty God for the gift of water over it the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation through it you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise in it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. Well, uh... <laughs>